I'm sure you've heard this at a wedding. Tell me if it sounds familiar. The exchanging of the rings, it usually goes something like this, that throughout history, uh, God has given us signs, memorials, to remind us of the covenants that he's made with the people of God. Like when he's destroyed and then restarted creation in the flood, he gives the people the ritual or the remembrance of the rainbow. God promised in that covenant to Noah that he would never destroy the earth with the flood again. And following that precedent, Jack and Jill here will exchange rings with one another. They're using rings because of the circle, the completeness they are in Christ, and the, the everlasting covenant that they're making with one another that can only be separated or ended through death. And the purity of the metal is refined by fire, represents the, the love that they've received from Christ that they can now share with one another. Now, Jack, face your wife, Jill, and repeat after me. With this ring, I thee wed in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Have you heard that? I bet you have. The rings are a sign of a covenant that you're making with one another. And why do we do this? To remember. They help us remember. It's a token. It's a, it's a monument in some respects. Because in, sometimes in marriage or sometimes there's a season in a marriage when you just never fail to fail. And then you look at the ring and you're a member of happier times. Sometimes the ring is helpful in times of trial or temptation. You find yourself on a business trip in Paris, and there's not a single person that knows you in 5,000 miles. And there's somebody at the bar that reminds you of your boyfriend in high school, and pff, I mean, no one's going to know. And you look at that ring, and it's to quench your aloneness and remind you of a covenant that you made. The ring helps... It be a sign. It's a symbol. It, it is a promise that is made and a promise that is kept. There are monuments, if you look at the Bible, there are monuments uh, for every act of salvation in the Bible. Adam and Noah and David all have these monuments or memorials. And the idea is never, ever, never forget what God has done in, the, in this act of grace. Certainly, the most famous would be the memorial for the battle for Egypt, if you remember that great war. In this corner, we have Egypt, and in this, Israel. Israel, a nation of slaves. Egypt, the most powerful nation in the world. Israel, known for making bricks and stacking them straight. Egypt, they've never lost a war. Let's get it on. And then what's the battle plan? God, through Moses, tells the people, here's what, you, here's what you're to do. You're supposed to get a lamb that's without any blemish, innocent, perfect. Slaughter that lamb, get the blood, put it all over the door jam of the outside of your house. Now, you're supposed to eat that lamb and cook a meal and eat it like you're in a hurry. Have your bags packed, wear your tennis shoes. You have no time to add yeast to the bread. It's unleavened unyeasted bread. You're in a hurry. Okay, okay. Now what? Now just wait. God's going to do the fighting for you on this. Just wait. And God promised, I will send my judgment over every house in Egypt, everyone, the Jews and the Egyptians both. 
And as judgment comes, you need to have faith that the blood of that lamb over your door will keep you from that judgment, and judgment will pass over you. And that's what happened. That's how Israel was set free from Egypt. That was their national salvation. And so after, after that takes place, they are raced out uh, of the city limits, and they stop right there, and they say, they, they learn, we're going to repeat this every year. We're going to reenact this year after year after year. We're going to tell this story again and again and again, because we need to remember the power of God's strength and the power of his grace. We're to remember that God made a promise and he kept the promise. That's Passover. It's one of the memorials, one of the rituals, one of the monumental events. And the greatest act of salvation takes place in the Newer Testament, but the tradition continues. Now it's salvation for our souls. And we have rituals or memorials to help us remember so that when we're in trials or we have doubts or we're not even sure of ourselves, we can start to remember that grace transforms us and, and it helps us, helps us remind us sometimes that we, were way, we are way we were and we are worse than we can imagine in our standing with God and then that our, the salvation is greater than we could ever hope for right now and in the future. And so today we're going to look at one of those two rituals or we call them ordinances and see their importance. We're going to look at baptism. We're going to define what, you know, what an ordinance is. We're going to show what that word means or baptism means. And then I'm going to help you work through like how to apply that. How to, what, what do we do here at Grace Covenant to enjoy that ordinance? First ordinance is this. This is how it's defined. It's an outward rite instituted by Christ to be administered by the, in the church as a visible sign of the saving truth of the Christian faith. The idea of an ordinance is to take something that's rather ordinary and transform it into something extraordinary. It's the vehicle that makes it into something more. So in the context of baptism, it is regular water, H2O. But in that ritual of baptism, it becomes mysterious. It becomes supernatural. In communion, we take, that's the other ordinance. In communion, we take simple bread, simple wine, say certain words, and it becomes a window, a, a display into the experience of the original Lord's Supper in the upper room, but also into forgiveness itself. And we do this because <laughs> we need these monumental events, we need these rituals because we tend to be spiritually learning impaired. And, and rightly so. We don't know what's happening in the spiritual world and because we can't see it, right? And so we need something to visualize what's already taken place in a non-visual world. The physical helps us understand the metaphysical. It's just, it's, sometimes it's difficult to grasp the depth of our forgiveness the, and the greatness of God's love. Another reason these ordinances are required of us is because Jesus told us to do them and and one of, one of the effects of that is he's, he's asking us to connect the body of Christ, the brothers and sisters, that we're a family of God together, but not just you know, people in this room or um, of a denomination, but think about this. Because of these two ordinances, baptism and communion or Lord's table, we are connected 
with every believer all over the world, brothers and sisters in Christ, at all times, for 2,000 years, believers have been doing these two ordinances because they're responding to the obedience of God, and we are somehow connected with each other. We're united in some way. So he does these two ordinances so that we can grasp in every culture, every con continent, every, every tribe, we're all doing something together. We have, a, we have a family, right? We have a family ritual that we enjoy. Today, we're going to look at baptism. Baptism. And in the great battle of death, in this corner, we have Jesus, <laughs> the Lamb of God. And in this corner, death. And after Jesus conquers death upon his resurrection and the cost of sin, he says this. And then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and in the name of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. All authority has been given to me. Go and do this. And they did. If you look at the book of Acts, you look throughout the Bible, <laughs> this is exactly what they were told to do, and so they did it. Acts chapter 2, Peter gives this barn-burning sermon. I mean, it, is, it says that people were cut to the quick, and they cried out for application. Like, what do we do knowing now that we helped participate in the crucifixion of the Messiah that had been promised for thousands of years? What do we do? And Peter says, repent and be baptized. And so they did. They repented. That's, look, look how it goes. You repent, you come to faith, and then you get baptized. There are just three dominoes that are falling. Bing, bang, boom. All 3,000 of them did that. Repent and be baptized. So the meaning of baptism, I think, primarily has two meanings. And the first one is, is we're connected to Jesus through baptism. Baptism is a ritual that unites us with the experience of Jesus. We, <laughs> um, we get to experience the death and the resurrection of Jesus in a very easy way. Paul is going to explain this and show how it's more than just a sign, but rather a symbol. It's kind of a reenactment like Passover does. And he, when he talks to the Romans about about their temptation to continue to sin, the answer to the problem, why don't I just keep sinning, is, well, you remember you were baptized. So when he says these words, just keep in mind there's two things that are assumed. One, that every believer has already experienced baptism, and that, that baptism was a real picture of what had taken place spiritually in their souls. So I want you to, while we read through this, let's take a, a special interest in the life and death words that are being used here. So chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, what shall we say then? Are we to, to, can you, are we to continue in sin that grace might even increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in sin? And then he's going to say, watch, this is what happens spiritually I want you to see it physically. Verse four, three and four say, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? And therefore we have been buried with him through that baptism, through baptism into death in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the father, we too might walk in the newness of life. 
You died with him, dead with him, you were raised with him. Why shouldn't you sin in the context of temptation? He says this, you remember your baptism, right? Well, that guy died, the one that's longing for and looking for opportunities to sin, he's dead. Spiritually speaking, that's what happened. That's what the angels saw. Do you remember that? Do you remember that when your faith is never fails to fail? Your baptism is something you hearken back to to, to remind you of, of better days. When you're on a business trip in Boston and there's no one around, look left, look right, no one knows you in this town. There's not a person that knows your name in a thousand miles from here in any direction. And then you see that girl at the bar and she looks like your high school sweetheart. And you're thinking, maybe no one will see. And Paul says, let the memory of your baptism quench your aloneness. That guy that used to enjoy those sort of events, that guy died. You remember? You remember your baptism, right? You died with Christ. Baptism is greater than the water. It's not a water story. It's a spiritual story of something that took place in real time, just invisible to us. So one of the meanings of baptism is that we're united with Christ. And another meaning of the baptism is that we are cleansed. So before baptism takes on this rite or ritual, there were cleansing rituals throughout the Older Testament, and it was preparing to be in the presence of God, and so you took kind of a little, a little baptism event. You prepared yourself for that. You changed your clothes, and you got into these white linens, those sorts of things. And, well, in this, Jesus changes that and, and modifies. It's like, yes, you're going to be cleansed, but now the water takes on this, this picture of not H2O, but rather the blood of Jesus Christ. That's how dirty we are, and we want it to cover all of our bodies. It's the idea of, of getting regenerated, rebirthed, a whole new life is starting all over again. And we do that, this idea of being completely cleansed, you know, not like Achilles where you know, just the heel is, is lost or left and that part is not secure. It's a little bit like that, but the idea is we're completely cleansed. It's so that when our faith fails to fail, never fails to fail, we hearken back to our baptism of happier times when we feel like there is no way that God could cleanse this dirty soul. We can get fixated on the depth of our sin at times. When the Spirit reveals our true selves to ourselves, remember your baptism. That was a complete cleansing. You were made new. You are all better. So that's the meaning of baptism. And now it's like, who, who is baptized? Who is baptized? In the Bible, it seems pretty clear. We have pretty strong beliefs that only believers are baptized in the New Testament. Only believers. Sometimes it's even called believer's baptism. Because if you look at the the pattern that happens throughout the New Testament is a person hears the gospel, they repent, they believe, and then they're baptized. You can't find a story where, where people are, are not baptized in the New Testament, and you can't find a story where people are baptized, but they're not believers that have repented. And so it's certainly here at Grace, one of our strong beliefs is that we don't believe in infant baptism. It's 
we can't find a passage that makes it pretty clear that this is a thing you should be doing. Now, a, a lot of churches that if you came from a church with infant baptism and that was your experience, one of the reasons churches do that, and it makes sense in some respects, is they're, they're kind of a, attaching it to, in the Older Testament, the ritual of, co- of circumcision. And in the older covenant that you, you circumcised a boy and that brought them into a covenant of faith, a family of believers. And so they've taken that ritual and turned it into infant baptism. The problem is that's not in the Bible. And, and so we don't do that here. Baptism is for believers. One of the things we do do, we, I, I, we certainly appreciate that value of being brought into a covenant of fellowship. And so here at Grace, we do uh, uh, child dedication or family dedication, in some respects, a church dedication, where we bring a family up here and they're holding that baby and we're, we're saying, look, this, this baby belongs to you, Lord, and we're just taking, you know, we're just being allowed and entrusted to raise this child and we need help. <laughs> we need the Spirit's help to raise this child. We need the church's help to raise this child. And we pray as a church for that child, that God would plant a seed of faith and that we as a family and we as a church family will be part of watering that seed and, and bringing sunlight, wisdom, truth to that seed to make it grow. But we don't see a purpose. We don't understand why there would be a need for infant baptism. So it's believer's baptism. How old would a person need to be to be baptized is a frequent last question. And uh, that goes, it's called the age of accountability. It goes back thousands of years. Uh, the way we answer it is we allow the discernment of, of parents and usually with an interview with one of our pastoral staff or someone in leadership to negotiate, does this child, can, can this child own up to what's necessary, repent and have faith to be baptized? And sometimes that varies from person to person, from understanding of of sin from one person to the next. Sometimes we do a thing, you know, again, frequent last questions, can people get baptized again? Personally, absolutely. We do that around here for a lot of different reasons. One of them is, is sometimes you go through a season of life and, or you had an experience where you were baptized at five or seven years old and then later on, maybe even as a teenager, you kind of like, whoa, I get, I get it maybe more deeply now than I did before. I understand my sin and his cost and I repent again in some respects and I want to be baptized again. Sometimes it's when the prodigal son returns. The prodigal was the child of the father and he never stopped being the child of the father, but when he came to his senses and when he came back, he wanted to be greeted again and start all over again. There's sometimes in marriages, we have uh, marriage vows renewed because someone went astray and became the prodigal. And when they come back, like, let's just start over, shall we? So there are times where we have people get baptized again, because why not? Why not just go through that experience one more time to start all over again? Sometimes we baptize people when we go to Israel because it's fun. <laughs> no other reason. It's the Jordan River. So uh, that's a little distraction from uh, seriousness here. But sure, let's get baptized again. If it's, a, if it's something that would help you in your journey, then let's do that. How do we baptize here at Grace Covenant Church? We believe that uh, in our reading of the Bible, we have a weak belief in this, but we believe that, that it's through what's called immersion, that, if, that 
you go completely underwater, not uh, sprinkling. In some other denominations, they'll sprinkle you. And I would imagine even at times we would allow sprinkling. Sure, yeah, hospital beds, sorts of things. But the reason we choose to immerse is for two major reasons. One is the word itself, baptizo in Greek is used in other contexts that are non-religious, and that means to plunge, to dip, to immerse. In some cases, it means to drown. <laughs> There's a case in extra-biblical, uh, you know, non-Bible Greek using of the word where a ship got baptized. That meant the ship sunk, <laughs> didn't just have a bad day in the rain. So the word itself means to take underwater. The second reason has to do with the two meanings of the word. Remember, the meaning of, of, of baptism is to be identified with Christ in his death and his resurrection. And so the idea is that you have died with him and your sin has been buried with Jesus. And then you were raised again in his righteousness. That picture, that symbol, not just a sign, that symbol is best expressed in the context of immersion. And also the idea of, of being cleansed by the very blood of the Lamb of God, I, I, again, not a shower, but a bath underneath the water. So that's how we do it here. Next frequently asked question is usually when and where do we do that at Grace? Well, our children, in many of the ministries, we do them um, like individually. So our children's ministry has a, a baptism event at two or three, twice a year, I think at least, and they'll do that usually in the auditorium over here, have a youth or a children's oriented baptism, kind of very celebration, looks like kind of a birthday party, a lot of fun. The youth, at least once a year, they go to Mo Ranch at camp in the summer, and they'll end camp with baptisms. That's especially significant and, and, and sentimental for some people here at Grace because we used to go to that same camp and get baptized. So there's some people that went to Mo Ranch at, when they were in high school at, at Grace, and now their children are at Mo Ranch in high school or junior high, and they're getting baptized in that same river there. That's just fun, but uh, that's, a, that's one of the t ways the youth that do it. And our adult, sometimes home groups will baptize in someone's backyard pool. Here in, the, in big church, we have baptisms about twice a year, sometimes more, but usually outside. Uh, make, we make a moment and a, a party out of that. If you remember down at the bottom of the hill, uh, at the end of the, of the, right before the parking lot, we'll do that usually in June. Sometimes we do it inside if it's because of the weather, and we're going to do that very soon. The obvious application for today's, uh, excuse me, today's learning time is, what about you? Be baptized. Have you been baptized? You cannot find in the Bible, you cannot find in the Bible, in the New Testament, you cannot find an unbaptized, by immersion, believer. There's just no such thing. Because people repented and believed and they were baptized. That's why they did it. It is absolutely the easiest way to become like Christ. We say become like Christ in all of life. Well, Jesus was baptized. He put it like this. <laughs> all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Get baptized. <laughs> Don't do it because your friends are pressuring you into it. Don't do it because it's a family tradition. This is between you and your relationship with the Lord. But don't do it because no one tells me what to do. 
not even Jesus, because Jesus said to be baptized. It's not necessary for salvation. It can't be. It's by a gift alone that we're saved. And the fact that it's not necessary for salvation is what makes it such a beautiful expression of obedience. It's not needed. Here, Spurgeon put it this way. It is the non-essentiality of baptism that makes it important to obedience. If it had to be done, then you'd do it. You don't have to. There's no other reason to do it except this, to obey. All that I've commanded you, can you do this one thing? You could sign up today. You could go to grace360.org slash baptism. We're going to have a baptism here in the last first week of February. So we'll do it inside because it's cold outside. We'll do it inside uh, each service. I think we're working out the details, but we've, when we do it in here, we'll do it right down here. We'll try and, and want to be bap- if you want to be baptized, go and sign up. Love as many people uh, that have not been baptized would like to be baptized again to fill out those forms and let's get in touch and let's do that. The purpose of baptism is to remember, remember the power and the grace of God. To remember that promises were made and that promises were kept. And it's events like baptism and, and communion, the Lord's table, that help us navigate and walk the balance beam of faith. It's so easy to fall off on one side or the other. Walking and living by faith is an act of of disciplined balance. It's easy for us to find ourselves falling off one side when we feel like we're hopeless and and, and in despair. And we feel like even, you know, every morning's sunrise is ruined by the darkness of our temperament coming over us and we're wondering like why has God left me where where has he gone and baptism helps us remember that we are identified with Christ he has cleansed us of all unrighteousness and that he would never leave us and never forsake us we died with him and we were raised with him sometimes (laughs) it's it's not our ego or our our circumstances that are driving us down that can knock us off the balance beam of faith, but rather it's ego, you know, expansion. When we, get, when we get proud, when we forget about our righteousness that is imputed to us, given to us from an outside source, when we get just so full of ourselves that we start showing our, 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 our life, our value system by being greedy, or self-righteous and judgmental towards other people, baptism brings us back, helps us remember that we were so bad we had to be killed. <laughs> we had to be crucified with Christ. <laughs> Stay down. <laughs> That's how bad. We are worse than we could imagine, and then our salvation is greater than we could hope, ever hope for. There are times where we need to realize that everything we have is a gift from God. And that would cause us to be grateful and, and gracious and, and forgiving and humble. Baptism helps us stay in, on that balance beam, as the Lord's Supper does as well. Baptism, by immersion, because Jesus commanded it. It gives glory to God. It is good for your soul. 
It helps remember what God has done for us in the past. It helps us live in the very present that he has never left us. He is still with us and helps us dream about the future of his return and the final judgment and justice that will prevail. Baptism does that for us. So the water's great. Do you need to be baptized? Let's just spend a moment thinking and remembering maybe of our own baptism and what that is to mean to us as we close in prayer. Lord, we are grateful that first and foremost that, we, that you left us these two commands of, of ordinances or memorials of baptism in the Lord's Supper because we are spiritually impaired. We don't, we don't understand what happened. And you brought these vivid pictures to us of remembering the fulfillment of the real Passover, that you are the Lamb of God, and that you, our faith is in you as judgment passes over us. And also in baptism that we completely died with you and we were raised with you. That our sin was laid in the grave and a new me was resurrected. We are grateful that you know how frail our faith can be that you would cause us to be required (laughs) to enjoy these two ordinances. And so, Lord, we, uh, we now celebrate that by doing that. I'd ask that you would help us in times of need when we feel like we could be tempted to do something we shouldn't do, that we'd be reminded that we have died with you. And when we are tempted to become proud and arrogant, thinking we have something that has not been given to us by your very grace, that baptism and the Lord's table would humble us and remind us of the depth of our sin and the grace of every breath. We're grateful, Lord, that you know us better than we know ourselves, that you'd require these things for us. Let us celebrate the baptisms of people in this covenant community as we express our obedience to you, not because we need to, but because we enjoy it. We love to obey. We pray this as followers of Christ. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen.